Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about managing our well-being and our form. This is episode four, where we chat to Amanda McKenzie, OBE, CEO of Business in the Community and non-exec director of Lloyds Banking Group. So, Amanda McKenzie, welcome to The Form Guide. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I lied to you at the start. I said I was going to play Whitney Houston and I ended up playing Blondie. I'm not quite sure how that happened. So, you know, my first, the first button I had to press, Amanda, I pressed the wrong one. But Blondie, it's a, it was a good track. Did you recognise that one? I did. Um, and and what I'm slightly weirdly happy about is the fact that I recognised it wasn't Whitney Houston. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Amanda McKenzie, you are Chief Executive of Business in the Community. You're also the non-exec of uh, Lloyds Banking Group. And I've got to know you and Louise Aston um, and the work you do in in business in the community and in terms of the the Prince's Responsible Business Charity and well-being being a, a core part of that. Um, so very excited to uh, to have a chat uh, with you and uh, welcome to, to this session. So um, we're going to get into a little quick fire round in a second, but for those that don't know, and I'm sure there might be one or two that don't, um, could you tell us a little bit about the work of, of business in the community, Amanda? Oh, gosh, yes, always. In fact, I could take 45 minutes doing that, so I probably won't. Don't worry. Um, Well, I I always think it's quite helpful to think about a charity in terms of what it would take for us not to exist. So quite simply put, if every company uh, in the world, but let's even go for Britain, was the best it could be at responsible business, then I think we could all skip off to the circus. But no fear of that anytime soon. And as we all know, it's an evolving journey. So what felt like good practice 20 years ago has already been surpassed. So we work with companies, we convene companies, we share best practice, we help them get better at responsible business. We help them measure it, get their own health check and get better. And then we have groups of leaders who we bring together to to sort of do, you know, um, sprints on certain topics, uh, thought leadership. So our job is basically to make responsible business better and champion it and be a beacon of it. Fantastic. And, and I guess there's been uh, no more important time for, for that sort of work to, to, to be required as what we're going through right now. Exactly. I, I think, you know, you, you don't, you, clearly you would not want a lot of these circumstances, but there's that lovely, I think it's a Nietzsche quote, a man has no ears for that which he cannot hear. Hmm. And I think this, you know, obviously if you rewrote it today, it might be anyone cannot hear, but let's let's go with the man in the, in the quote for the moment. That's not the point. The point being, I do think the circumstances, Black Lives Matter, um, the, you know, clear issues around mental health that everyone's facing because of the pandemic have meant that people are hearing this. There was one of my favourite quotes from one of our leaders last year, or one of our, our CEOs who works with us, uh, Keith, and he justly said, I do think leaders have... have um, have discovered their ears yeah and you go that's that's brilliant you wouldn't want it to have happened this way but it it what a great place from which to now build yeah and i think we do need to look for those those silver linings for from this horrible situation that we're all all going through and we're going to get into that we're going to talk about leadership authentic leadership we're going to talk about the work of business in the community but first we will start with the question and that question is how are you today 
Um, and as you can see, I'm on I'm on good form. Slept well last night. I'm, I'm, I've got a sort of Christmas themed jumper and form score background color combination going on. But generally pretty buoyant, although I've got a lot um, mindful of a lot that I need to sort of balance right now. And um, what would what would your score be, Amanda, on on the basis that seven is good, six is average, and just you know normalizing that scale a bit? Okay, I I think I'm definitely eight eight to nine really. Um, I didn't do any exercise that's the thing I'm slightly beating myself up for but like why um this morning but I slept well um and had lots of fruit for breakfast and most excitingly my husband's just come back from having had his vaccine fantastic it's just a if, vaccination even yeah it, fe it feels it feels just you know like I'm hearing a few of these happen my mum's had hers and and it's just sort of a cause for celebration every time one one hits your <laughs> network right yeah, Brilliant. Yeah. Um, and um, that's, that's great. And what would what would a perfect 10 day look like for you? What would a 10 out of 10, you know, that lifetime peak form be? Oh, um, I just I mean, it, it, it's almost like a job interview question in yeah. a weird sort of way, isn't it? And, and I think it would be that you start it well, as you say, you've slept well. Um, so it's 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 started well, there needs to be an, a family element of it around a meal and where we're all happy because we're big foodies, yep. so we love that. But then there also has to be a big feeling of knocking a lot of Skittles down. So stuff being done that seriously creates impact. Yeah. That would be extraordinary. Yeah. But then that would be in retrospect, I suppose, wouldn't it? So it's quite hard to, in the moment. You'd have to recalibrate in the moment. You'd, yeah, <laughs> sort of yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? So you, 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 you've, you've touched on a few of the drivers of well-being there. So that, that level of connection, good sleep, but then the sense of purpose and sense of achievement that we get from from what we do professionally or other areas of our life and um you know it's interesting isn't it some of it we can control and some of it the stars just have to align for for that perfect day to happen and we're not striving for perfection we're trying we're striving to be well and maintain good balance yeah. yeah yeah brilliant um brilliant so the quick fire round this is not something you've had chance to prepare for so i'm going to ask you a series of questions um if mental health were a um and then you can uh, just just the first thing that comes into your head um so if mental health were an animal amanda what would it be for you so i have slightly cheated on this because i i happen to know you've asked this question <laughs> okay so i was i was discussing it with my son who's yeah. 24 who's a very wise soul um, and he, of course, he immediately went to the old Winston Churchill black dog. Yeah. But then, as we talked about it, he just said, you know, but the thing is, you've got to work at it every day. You've got to sort of nourish, cherish, nurture what's going on in your mind mm. every day to make sure that it's maybe not it's in good health, effectively, just like you keep fit, etc. So, so he then said, so I'd go for an animal that was incredibly resilient. And then he said, a cockroach. And I went, Okay, interesting. But then he said, apparently they can live for a week without a head. <laughs> so make of that what you will. <laughs> Brilliant. The mental health cockroach. And they are, I mean, they are incredibly resilient animals. You're right. Um, and um, yeah, when, when you were speaking there, I was thinking of, you know, a, a, an animal that just keeps coming back and keeps working at it, you know, like a, uh, like a, a work horse or something like that. Yes. But yeah, the cockroach, I, I, I like that one. We've had a few really interesting answers to that one, but that's a good one. So thank your son for me. So if mental health were a colour, what would it be? And, I, and it's not my jumper. No. Um, well, I, I, I mean, it's uh, yellow for me. Yeah. It, has, it has to be that the sunshine. I know it might be corny, but I just, I just, 
you know, it's actually when we feel the sun on ourselves, when we, you know, just it is a bright colour, you know, I mean, that's that. Yeah, and that's, that's right. And it's always, I, I quite like the imagery of, particularly with mental ill health, that the sun is always shining behind the clouds. And that, mm. that gives me comfort when I'm in a period of depression. Um, mm. And apologies for the noise. Um, I think, as I mentioned, my uh, little lad is due to be doing some homeschooling uh, with my wife, and it's not going to plan by the sounds of things. Uh, I think that was a door slam. So, you know, conscious that many parents will be going through this at the moment, Amanda. Yeah, I, I think, I, as I say, any parent homeschooling have my utmost respect. Um, and my noise is, a, is, a, is some building work going on in the background. <laughs> yes. so, um, not to my knowledge a screaming builder at this point um yeah i i just think it's extraordinarily tough so i think you know as leaders I, i'm very conscious a lot of companies are very aware of this and how what, what you can do about it how you treat the kind of commensurate exhaustion off the back of it and also just literally the capacity people have to do their day job is is stressed yeah but um that that's the situation we find ourselves in we've just got to be really thoughtful about it yeah and i've been hearing um you know new terms around burnout being coined like home burnout um and lockdown mm -hmm. burnout which burnout has traditionally been associated with workplace um yes. whereas for for certain seg segments that we're, we're burning out because of what we've got to do at home as well yeah. um which is interesting. well uh, that lovely phrase about sleeping in the office yeah actually rather than working from home sleeping in the office which actually i think brings to life a lot more <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What, what field time are we going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm sleeping in a primary school right now, <laughs> which is uh, even worse. Um, so if mental health, Amanda, were a food, uh, what would you describe it as? Oh, um, uh, okay, I'm going to go for risotto. Okay, why risotto? I'm not a massive fan of risotto either, yeah. but I, I do think there's times when it's, it's comforting and stays warm for a long period of time. Yeah. It has a lovely mixture of ingredients um, and it, it, it just speaks of a foreign land. Yeah. A good risotto. I love that. I love that. It, it does because there's different textures, there's different flavours, you, as you say, that mix of ingredients. Um, and I think like we discussed with the animal, it does also require work, doesn't it? You've got to tend to your risotto. You can't just leave it and yeah. walk away. Um, so yeah, the mental health risotto. This this is good stuff. It's amazing what you do when you can prepare of it, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, so if mental health were a song for you, Amanda, what would that be? Um, um, I, I I do I do I'm a classical music fan. Um, and I have to say Mozart flute concerto is is one of for me one of the most uplifting pieces. So it just, I can literally feel my mind aligning as I listen to it. Fantastic. So I would, I would want that effect to be for everyone. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, and it has been proven, hasn't it, that classical music is good for our cognitive ability, it's good for our brains. Um, so we'll put a link to, uh, to that concerto in the, in the show notes so people can uh, experience that with you as well. Um, okay, so I'm going to do one more from the quick fire selections. Um, and... Um, this one is a, this is the, the most difficult one. I'll I'll say this in advance. Okay. If mental health were a sound, what would it be? You know, actually, I think you might have used this sound before, so I'm not stealing it from that. But um, the lovely sound of one of those Tibetan drums. Yes. Yeah. It kind of has the same effect as if you hit, listen to a, a a very symmetrical piece of classical mm. music. It has that very restoring piece uh, effect on you um 
Yeah, I think I'll stick with yeah, that. Yeah, it's a good one. Tibetan singing bowls um, um, is, is is what they are. And, and and it's interesting you've said that because we do use those um, on the edit of the podcast. So we'll sign out the podcast with a strike of the bell. Um, and we, um, we, we had them as a prize for uh, one of the awards we gave for, for the Inside Out Leaderboard. Uh, where we got one engraved so yeah it's a wonderful sound isn't it and it's apparently it's the theta frequency uh, of the of the sound wave that resonates with our, our bodies and our brains and puts us into quite a relaxed uh, state um, oh, the other one I uh, experienced uh, with a business called gong is a sound bath where they've got the big uh, the big uh, Chinese gongs um, oh, and yeah. again very easy yeah for, for those of people who struggle to get into a meditative state that sound bath can can help with that so really good answers you know I think um, I hate to do my other guest down but you are a star pupil on the quickfire round Amanda so thank you for thank you, thank you for sharing those um, so we're going to talk about leadership we're going to talk about the work of business in the community um, and, and well-being and mental health as, as is a core pillar of, of what you guys do as, as um, looking to inspire responsible business why, why is it so important and why is it so important in business Amanda well, I mean, if you wanted to be cynical about this, um, people coming to work being as productive as possible um, will be, be will be a result of them being happy, being themselves, being comfortable, and therefore they will deliver their best work. So enlighten self-interest, and then of course it's the right thing to do. You know, we we are a a world that appreciates humanity, and why wouldn't you? So at its most fundamental, that's what you want. Um, and I do think it's a duty of companies to think about this stuff. I mean, I, I often talk about the fact that, you know, in history, if you look at Lever, the history of Unilever, um, he was very thoughtful about how he looked after his workers. Now, how that showed up then, clearly, you know, 150 years later is slightly different. But he, you know, he, he really did. He gave a book to each of his employees' kids every year. And he used to, Alan Joke tells his amazing story. And then he used to write down which book it was. And the next year he would give their children a different book and for their other kids to make sure they never, you know, just thinking through what that means. So I think it's been there, but I think increasingly people understand that responsibility. So that's why it's important. Um, and, but I think often it's quite hard for people to know exactly what to do. Um, so that's where our work focuses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned sort of duty of care and we hear a lot of talk now about psychological safety and creating places that are people feel safe psychologically to to work in um and there's that it, it strikes me there's that that sort of unique almost unique occasion where the business case and the moral case are in alignment you know it's the right thing to do to look after your employees but if you do so you will have a happier, higher performing, more productive workforce. And do you think that message is getting understood out there? Yes, I do. Um, I, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that the, I think it's almost accepted the fact that, well, brave words. I think it's certainly getting there yeah. um, that the, the whole principle of mental health being on par with physical health. So I think that as a rallying cry, which was probably just two, three years ago, was the thing we were trying to help people understand, I think is much more accepted now. So then it takes it to the next stage where you're going, okay, so what's it take? What does that work environment need to look like to imagine a world where work could actually be good for you? 
So not just where work, I mean, clearly having work versus not having work is clearly better for you, you would hope if it's good cherishing work, but ideally, what is it about your work that could really enhance your mental health? So I think that journey has begun. Yeah. And I think if you if you imagine what I've just said, the notion of work being good for you, if we'd have said that 10 years ago, I think people would have probably slightly laughed. Really. Yeah. So I kind of I do think we're really, really progressing. That doesn't mean there's not some toxic workplaces. There's still some big issues to be dealt with. Of course, there are. But I think the notion of accepting the principle of where we're headed is is much is much greater. Now. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And it's good to see. And um, it, it, You've reminded me of uh, one of the values of the Environment Agency, which has always stuck with me since I heard a presentation from them. That they, uh, one of their core values is they would like life to work to be a life-enhancing experience. And Perfect. yeah, if you start there and then work your way through to policies and activations, then it's a good place to start. And you know, I know um, Anglian Water are also very good at putting you know well-being as a, a core driver of the business and actually measuring the results. Yes, absolutely. Interestingly, the Environment Agency, because of course the other thing that I think we've all particularly realised this year is the aspects of the aspects, sorry, of our surroundings. The, the power of nature to help with our mental health yeah. so suddenly you know when the sdgs the sustainable development goals were put together everyone kind of tried to sort of take them as individual things but the reason that the un felt comfy having 17 of them was that they're all interrelated and, and i think we've learned that a lot and that financial health you know financial security and health, all, all of those things now you can't just pull one out you can't have one in isolation yeah, and I, and I think that's probably the evolution, isn't it? That we um, we we look at um, helping everybody in the workplace be more literate about their well-being and mental health, be more um, intentional about it. And it's not we we need to support the people who are struggling for sure. Um, but actually, there's a cohort in the middle that could benefit from just investing in at a personal level in their well-being. And I think employers are starting to help bring that self-awareness and literacy to to people, from what I can see yeah yeah good um so we're going to talk a bit about leadership um and um yeah i think again the pandemic has has, has brought with to us uh, the need for compassionate leadership for vulnerable leadership we we hear those terms quite a bit what's your perspective on that amanda and what you know what do you see out there that is is good leadership through these these challenging times um and, and, and it's a bit like the collaboration word, you know, com compassion is quite a hard, it's quite an easy word to say, and quite a hard word to really do. Um, uh, I, you know, personal experience over the summer, I thought I was being terribly compassionate on a particular issue, and it turns out I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, luckily, luckily, I learned, I learned the hard way, but I kind of got there. And it clearly I wasn't doing it not to be compassionate. I just didn't realize quite how far that meant I had to go. So I think it, it requires people to be really thoughtful and really determined about it. Um, but there's there's no question of it. If you look at some of the things that companies have thought about, and I have a whole list because one of my anxieties in life is that I'm always going to forget something. Okay. I play the piano. I've never been able to do it without music. Right. And, it's, and it's because in my head, I'm so scared I'm going to forget yeah. the music that it becomes a bigger problem. I spend too much time worrying about forgetting. Right. So I've just learned. I'm just not going to be embarrassed to have a notebook in front of me anymore. You know, it's like it's one of those things, the older you get, you go, yeah, what's more important that I'm useful in the in the moment or that I've remembered yeah. something. It's like, hello, get over yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, 
So uh, some examples, you know, Morrisons have developed a hardship fund, you know, so they've really acknowledged, they know some people would have had a really tough time of it, so they developed hard. Santander made available a 24-hour psychologist. Um, Lloyd's uh, conscious that people might be getting physical or even mental abuse at home. That's an unsafe space for them at home. And so they've created a place where workers can, people can go to, at night to be safe. Um, um, other companies, they've created a well-being hour so that every day or sorry, every week, actually, it's just no one is allowed to put any meeting times in. It's like their yellow space. We, we do it over lunchtime, yeah. but it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> um, but um, it's, it's, it's the principle of saying, you know what? I haven't had a walk today. I'm going to have a walk. And everyone respects that. Um, CEOs doing webinars on kindness. Um, uh, one company sent a hug in a box, tea bags, mugs and the lot. Yeah. Um, uh, I know, um, you know, everything, sessions on well-being. We've got a quite, a, I think, was a phenomenally successful step challenge going yep. on. Someone, amazingly enough, worked out how many steps there were between all our offices. And I think it was something like three million. So we wondered if we could do get to that by the end of the month or in the, in the period we'd set. And rather extraordinarily, we'd beaten it in the first week. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned two things. I'm thinking, oh, is it? Is it, are people walking through the night? What's going on? But I know I now have a lot of fit people in our yeah. team because they're clearly marathon training. So they're ramping up their steps. But that's been great fun, actually, and, and a lovely way for us all to connect. And that's the other thing, I think, that leadership in this, particularly in this last year, how we create connections. Because whilst the advantage of overscreens, everyone says, is the democratization of how we all are, you still don't quite connect. Yeah the way that you might like so it's as a leader they have to connect really thoughtfully about this stuff um and then clearly a lot of a lot more companies are thinking about the online resources they're helping their families with as well yeah absolutely lots of great stuff in there and i love the idea of well-being hours in diaries because i think that does a few things it it gives people permission from the organization that actually prioritizing your well-being during the day is encouraged and, and we're all doing it and I think yeah. that that can often help people and diarizing it is brilliant isn't it because yeah we um, I think what we're I, I, I'm sure you've seen the stats as well that you know we're not commuting but we're working longer hours on average mm -hmm. which which is absolutely nuts but actually diarizing that hour where you're going to go outside and walk or exercise or whatever you do for your well-being is super important yeah and the other thing that we found, because it's like, don't have a half an hour meeting. If you, if you can do it in 25, what you were going to do in half an hour, so do it in 25, which means everyone knows they've got five minutes to get a cup of tea, nip to the loo, do whatever they need to do, run up and down the stairs, do 10 press ups, doesn't matter what, or 55 minute meetings, because this, that's the trouble, because they slightly run into each other. And it's a bit like that old movie clockwork. Once you get late, it's like everything stacks <laughs> up. And then they talk about that's not going to help your stress levels. Yes. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it is simple things that replace that, I guess, artificial discipline that we get in the workplace of walking to a meeting room or going out to get our lunch that, that can make a big difference. But I, yeah. I, I love the ideas as well of, of looking at those different um, particular challenges that that workers might face you know and we'll we'll talk about the work you're doing on domestic abuse but you know creating safe spaces as a recognition that actually work is a safe space for for a lot of people who might be in difficult circumstances um, so I love ideas like that
Um, obviously, you're, you're, you're non executive and um, you know, um, Antonio Horta Rosario well documented with um, his um, challenges and being open about them. Um, from, from a leader um, and a CEO that you've seen who is really championing, in, championing the, the well-being and mental health agenda, what, what do you see as the impact of that from, from someone like Antonio you know, really getting behind it? Oh, absolutely immense. But to give you one example, which I happened to, was lucky enough to read, obviously I'm not going to mention the person, but they'd written to Antonio to say what the impact on them personally had been. So it was a brilliant way to really bring it to life very personally. And they, they have mental health issues, they struggle with their mental health. But Antonio saying what he said, and then, as you say, being that role model, gave this person permission to be okay with it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, there, and then, you know, be okay, then be open. And then, of course, everything actually felt a lot more manageable as a result of it. And so this letter was this kind of perfect sort of rendition of what that process had meant to them. Yeah. It was just incredibly powerful. It was really moving. And that's one of several, yeah. many, many. So to feel, I mean, we all know people struggle to write to leaders. They never want to praise leaders because it sort of all feels people always worry about blowing smoke and all that. Yeah. You can say that phrase anymore, but I've just said it. Um, so, you know, uh, people worry about that. But actually, if you feel so moved that you want to, the impact on you must have been enormous. Yeah. So I, I just think... It's been quite fabulous what Antonio's helped people do. And of course, it makes the company very, very thoughtful about this subject as well. Yeah. So, you know, early adopter of thinking about how do you measure mental health? How do you capture what's being done? How do you capture it in your pulse surveys, etc. And And um, David Oldfield, who runs their um, uh, business side of Lloyd's, he uh, chairs our leadership team on well-being, so works alongside Lou Aston. And together, they've done some amazing thought leadership in terms of where they're going to take this, which is all the thinking now around what does the job design look like for a work that could be good for you? Yeah. All of that's coming out of that team. So it's just been great to see how, I suppose you could argue, those very roots from Antonio being honest, and also the chairman at the time, Wynne Bischoff, going, go home take the time you need, do what you need to do, get well, get healthy. You know, that there's lots of moments of leadership going on there. Um, obviously, it needed Antonio, but it also needed people around him to capture that and give him permission, if that's the right phrase. Yeah, and and, and that was a bold call by, by the chairman, wasn't it? Um, during those times, it's it's I think the, the narrative has moved on a little bit, but then it was middle of the crisis and... Um, yeah. And he backed Antonio, and that was pretty special, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah but I think you make a really good point as well from from that letter, and and I can resonate with this, uh, identify with this personally, in, in that when we can be open about our challenges, that the power over them does diminish a little bit, um, because we're not mm -hmm. then trying to have the, carry the additional burden of pretending to be something we're not, particularly pretending yeah. to be happy when we're might be experiencing depression or some other some other challenge, and since I've been open and shared my story I've noticed that the the episodes of depression as part of my bipolar are much less and, and less severe yes. and um, many of the role models that we represent on the inside our leaderboard would would say the same yeah oh for certain I remember I, used, I was very lucky uh, I worked with Jan Gooding who was the chair of Stonewall yeah. and during 
the time when she came out, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying this because she's been public about it, but she she felt that her mental health was definitely struggling because she wasn't being open. And she knew that in order to feel that she could cope with everything and be the person she wanted to be, she had to do that. So there's no question that, that, that it is has a fantastic um, impact on you to think about those things that are getting in the way of you being open and authentic yeah. and then that will help your mental health no question yeah that. yeah absolutely but i mean you're, you're the expert on this lose <laughs> the expert on this yeah and it's you know it's, it's in, encouraging to talk to so many people out there in leadership roles in business that are looking to looking to move the agenda forward which is which is great um i've got a question for you around smes because obviously we we see some great work being done with big business um, who arguably have the resource to do the great work. But what are your yeah. thoughts on, on SMEs? And, and I guess particularly right now where, you know, if you're a, a, a running a smaller business and you're trying to you know, stay in business and you've got really conflicting priorities over your time and perhaps don't have the support functions of a, a, a large corporate, a large multinational, how can they really prioritise mental health and wellbeing of, of their people? Um, uh I'm going to answer that sh shortly, but the stat I was quickly looking up is incredibly um, the incidence of people having mental health in SMEs and not and feeling that their employer isn't dealing with it is far less, okay. like just shy of 20% less, which is amazing. And so that leads you to go, so what is it about the SME environment that you know, and, and I'm not sure we necessarily know, other than probably the layers from the bottom to the top are smaller, by definition. Yeah. You, it's probably more of a family kind of atmosphere. So that, that nature, that friendship, the closeness that you were talking about earlier. So there's definitely something there um, that's clearly helping people. But obviously what they then don't have, to your point, is the resources necessarily to deal with what they have to deal with in quite the same way. But I think there's quite a lot of large companies that are aware of how can they use the resources they have against certain issues to help their SMEs in their supply chain do this. And increasingly, we're looking to help make that happen as well. Um, but I do think it's just such a, I, I mean, you know, on the whole, I would imagine and SMEs will be more uh, led by their founder. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's almost like jumping right back to where we started in terms of thinking about Unilever. Yeah. You will have that slight sense of care of your and, and, and beauty of care. I think will be more profound when it's your business and you're dealing with 50 people than, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, yeah, I think, I think you're right. And actually, often in large business, business, large corporates, we often see the blockers might be the middle management layer. You know, you've got the board who's saying, right, we, we're going to do good work on mental health and wellbeing. And we've got the groundswell of people wanting that. And sometimes it can get a bit stuck in middle management. Whereas with less layers, if the culture is there, if the willingness is there, then actually implementing that open supportive culture might be a little bit easier. And I, yeah, it, it's making me reflect on a few of the um, role models from the leaderboard from smaller businesses where once they've been open and and really push the agenda that change can happen much much quicker um interesting so I'm, I'm i'm keen to talk about your work on domestic abuse and you know this is a a pretty serious topic at the best of times or the worst of times but right now we're in challenging times where i i, I guess we're seeing 
you know that, that those challenges amplified for a lot of people and there's my uh, there's my little boy still still not still not going where he needs to go um oh dear do you want to bring him in <laughs> <laughs> my my wife is kindly closing the office door so apologies everyone homeschooling at its uh, finest um but um like when you were talking about authentic leadership yeah it's fine it's fine we, you know, every, everyone's dealing with their equivalent moments so just all going oh goodness that's not me today <laughs> yes indeed so you know that's that's so, what that's what's happening in my household but um I'm taking it personally, by the way, to shut up, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't directed at you, Amanda. It definitely wasn't. Um, but it, I, th you know, I think everything is amplified right now. There's those those stresses that we've just seen there with my, my little lad, but the, the horrible yeah. situation of domestic abuse, given that there's not the... The, the physical space that we're, we're we're going to in a lot of cases is is being amplified isn't it so i know business in the community are doing some fantastic work in terms of toolkits but tell us more about the issue and and, and your response to it um well as you as you rightly said um what became apparent and in fact we heard quite a lot of ceos at the beginning going we have people turning up at our workplace it's shut but they just they can't stay at home any longer so we have to open up the workplace for people that have you know gone through a process and said that that is the case so it suddenly became more prevalent i mean i think it's it's obviously always been there it's got worse um and um yes we've uh, updated our toolkit um you can download the business and communities public health england domestic abuse toolkit and our covid19 domestic abuse and employees toolkit so if you, people need to look that up but i guess you'll kindly send we can put links to to those uh, that that's helpful um I mean, it's as simple as they need they need to seek refuge in whichever way that shows up. So I think, you know, understanding that, um, and as I, I gave you the example from Lloyd's earlier, um, just being sensitive and thoughtful about it, be it what seems to be the more everyday opening up the office for people that really need it, right through to places that people can actually escape from their homes and hopefully then that can be a journey to a, a better kind of home somewhere in the future. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's as simple as that. There's a lot of work being done on the specifics of it, but really fundamentally, what an appalling thing that in people's own home with people that they thought loved them and they loved, that can that's what's happening. Um, and clearly, I think the other thing is you can help managers, that, and that's obviously what's inherent in the toolkits, is helping managers understand how to spot it because clearly I think people as well, it's, you know, it, it's almost like, um, it's not a taboo beyond what, it, you, is it, I, I, actually I don't know, so you might, um, but I think people being open about it feels a very tricky thing, yeah. you could almost argue it's still harder to talk about than mental health issues, so actually helping people feel comfy to actually mention it is that their, their first path to getting on. And the other work we've been doing as well is like the next stage from that, you could argue, I'm not saying that they're, they're connected, is um, we've just produced um, um, a toolkit to help people dealing in the workplace to help people with grief and bereavement. Yeah. yeah. Because clearly that's been a little bit more prevalent this last year. Um, so again, just I think what Lou has been fantastic at is going, this feels tricky, but this is the, that's the reason to yeah. go there. Yeah. Other than just traveling in hope and it'll all be fine and 
you know, a sort of Mary Poppins smashes through the door. Well, actually, some of it is just easier just to, yeah. you know, go, okay, what are we actually dealing with? Yeah. And, and um, you're, you're right, I think, that there is more of a taboo. Um, and I've seen a few people um, who are, camp are campaigners and very open about domestic abuse, and, and actually, uh, you know, one or two men as well. And, and it should be we should make it clear that this this does happen to men as well as uh, as, as women out there. Um, and, and again, that the taboo and the impact on mental health uh, for for both sets of um, identities there and genders is 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 is, is, is you know, very significant. Um, but I think, you know, we need, it's the same with the mental health agenda, we need to be able to create those those safe spaces in organisations where if someone is going through this, they feel they've got the opportunity and, and won't be penalised in any way if they can confide in it, because then it's the same thing, you're getting some help, people know where you're coming from, and it's... Um, you're working together with your employer to to work through the issues and, and give yourself the space that you need but it's it's tricky isn't it yeah but it, you know there has been a lot of talk the past few years of, of a skill that leaders and managers need to develop is empathy yeah. and um you know i suppose what you know the question is can it can it be can can you create people that are more empathetic uh, i think you absolutely can but um, you want to be attacked by a sword, I think. <laughs> oh. Hopefully not a real one. <laughs> no. um, so I think that's certainly something that will be a core essential skill, if you like, of our of our leaders and our managers in, in at some point in the future. Absolutely. Um, so, well, not, not at some point in the future, it's essential yeah. now, but I suspect the training and embracing that as a core skill that you're going to need is just going to be more prevalent. Yeah. So, so first of all, thank you for the work you you and Louise are doing um, and that it's very necessary and it, it's great that you're grabbing hold of it. Um, looking forward, um, you know, for the next 12 months, what is your hope um, for you know, businesses in the community um, as we travel through the next phase of this, this pandemic? Well, uh, for us as an organisation, obviously our, our journey to help companies with their responsible business journey continues, but very specifically on this subject, we're looking to do two things. One is um, produce a white paper on what does work good work design yeah. look like. Um, so, and, and actually, it, it, I don't want that to sound super onerous. It could be some small things, small changes that can make a massive difference, or it could be some bigger things. But we're looking to pull that together and really think about that. And then also do a little bit of work around psychological safety and beginning to define it. Because if you're a business leader worrying about maybe your share price or your, your challenge to getting to net zero, you know, I think a role of what organizations and, and the work that all of us do in this space is to what's going to make this stuff easy to get grabbable and actionable so the whole piece around compassion is only useful if you make it actionable at the end of it so that's i think our job we've just got to be practical and tangible and find out what we can do to make business leaders pick it up and do stuff with it yeah i, I love that and i think you know psychological safety is an interesting one we hear we hear it a lot um but actually what does that mean in practice and how can we help organizations create and, it, and as you say it's good work isn't it create work that is fulfilling um and and where people feel safe to come in and, and do their job so 
Um, Amanda, thank you so much. I've, um, it's always great to talk to you and I, I love hearing about the work you're doing. And um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives and we'll, we'll put some links in the, uh, in the show notes on uh, the toolkits that you've got and also that wonderful music choice as well. <laughs> brilliant. Well, thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing. It's massive. It's brilliant. Well done. Thank you, Amanda. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.